2: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. 45% of young LGBTQ people have seriously considered suicide in the last year, and nearly one in five transgender and non-binary youth have attempted it. That's according to an annual survey from the Trevor Project. That's a national suicide prevention and mental health organization for LGBTQ young people. Today on Where We Live, the Trevor Project joins us. Along with Media Matters for America, that's a progressive media watchdog examining how harmful anti-trans narratives contribute to this crisis. But first, we hear directly from one Connecticut teen and his mom about their experiences and the urgent need for allyship and education. You're going to want to listen to this one. Oakley and his mom, Jess, live on the Connecticut shoreline. Now, they're not going to disclose their name or exact location today due to broader concerns about their safety and in order to speak openly about Oakley's experience transitioning in the hopes of educating others. Oakley, Jess, welcome to Where We Live.
3: Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thanks so much for having us.
2: Thanks for coming on, Oakley. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, if you're listening to this conversation, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Jess, can I start off with you? I just really want to touch briefly on the choice to use pseudonyms today. How does that speak to I guess, the nature of the issue here.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it really does speak to it, doesn't it? Um, so, you know, living here in Connecticut, we feel pretty safe where we are and um, don't feel threatened by by much of anything. However, um, that can change. And we all see that. We know that we're watching the the, uh, p- the political nature of everything around the country and how different states are changing their um, guidelines and rules and laws. And it's pretty scary, to be honest. So we know that we're safe at the moment, but um, we've decided that it's best to not come out with our real names and, and location of where we live, specifically because Oakley is also a minor and my child and my responsibility and my husband's responsibility to keep him safe.
2: So I so appreciate you guys coming on pseudonyms or no pseudonyms oakley yeah can we talk about where you're at now and if you can kind of help me with how far you've come specifically over the last uh, two years or so i believe
4: i struggled like really badly with mental health for a couple of years and we were like for a long time trying to figure out like the root of like the problem although there isn't always a root for like mental health problems we were just wondering like if there was in my scenario so I was, like, really just unhappy with myself, but I couldn't, like, figure out why, and um, I, thinking back now, I remember many scenarios where I experienced, like, gender dysphoria and stuff like that, but during the time, I had no idea what that was, and it left me feeling really, like, confused and anxious, and um, once I started realizing, once I started learning more about gender dysphoria and transgender, non-binary, gender fluid, et cetera, is when I started, like, putting the pieces together, I guess. Um, And so I, during quarantine, like, the quote-unquote main quarantine of 2020 is when I was like, oh, I think I might be trans, but I didn't want to be. But I was like, oh, like, I think I might be, Um, but I didn't want to be because of all like this stigmatism and all the negativity and everything in the world. And even in our state, in our town, like no one's ever going to be happy with no one's ever going to be like 100 percent happy with like who someone is. Uh, um, I was really afraid of that. And I was really afraid of what people would think about me. And so I kind of like suppressed those thoughts, those feelings. And it's like, oh, I'll get over this. And so to try to do that, I started dressing a lot more feminine um, because I was never a girly girl to begin with. I just never was. And um, although I did, I I did dance and I still continue to do dance for like ten years. I hated like the makeup, like wearing makeup and stuff. And I never, like, I never liked to go get my nails done or anything like that. But when I started having thoughts of being trans, I was like, no. So and then I started pushing myself to try to be, try, try to present more feminine so that, I don't know, maybe I can uh, I could like trick myself into like enjoying it more. And um, that did not work. And, um, it actually worsened my mental health even more and um i didn't know how to like explain it to my family um so i kind of wanted to like ease them into it instead of like dropping a bomb being like hey i'm trans by the way because like that would come out of nowhere for them and the very first thing i did was i came out as bisexual and um that alone was like, whoa, <laughs> that was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> my child likes both. <laughs> um, so that, that was like big for my family to hear. And then I slowly, like, as I was like discovering myself, I like had a good communication with my mom. And so that's how they started figuring out. And I started, like, I told her one time that like, I asked my friends to use like she, they pronouns and then I cut my hair and then I stopped wearing like crop top leggings and stuff. I started like wearing more like jeans and like a t-shirt, like a bag of t-shirt or something and just dressing more how I wanted to. And, um, that's when my family was like, oh, there's something, there's something here, but we don't know what it was.
2: Jess, could Sorry. you just help me out with Oakley saying he's bisexual at this point? What was your reaction?
3: We had learned a lot from Oakley and his generation about sexuality, basically, right, and how um, there was a lot of a lot more people in the LGBTQ community than we would have than we knew, and that was. We were definitely growing up or or they were growing up in a world right now that it was more acceptable than when we were growing up. So they were all talking about it a little bit more. And it was okay if you felt that you might be interested in the same sex or maybe both sexes. So but we um, didn't you know, we we had at the time two boys and a girl. So we were and I I like to say this to everybody because we were your typical um, Irish and Italian Republican Catholics. Let's just put it that way. So, um, there, you know, we, we would go to church every single week. We would have, you know, family was incredibly important to us and still is. Um, and we were very traditional, like probably there was, we were probably more of the minority of how traditional family we were. Um, so when Oakley came out as bisexual to me, I was just like, Oh, Oh, okay. I'm trying to sort of Calmly react and, and ask what, what, so what did that mean? You like boy, both boys and girls, and I wanted to learn more about it and kind of educate myself. And I've always wanted my children to be able to talk to me about anything. It's been one of the things I've always said as a mother I want them to be able to come to me about anything. So it was really important that um, I responded in a way to him that he would be able to talk to me. So that's how I responded. And that was the beginning um oakley took us on a journey and the journey went from hey i'm bisexual to months and months and months later of listen i'm really trans like i i'm, I'm in the wrong body I'm, I'm not i'm or i i feel that i should that i am a, a boy so he really took us very slowly through that and i i appreciate that from him i you know i really do because um it was his way of of bringing us baby steps through, um, through
2: his, his journey. Oakley, you alluded to this earlier in the interview, you say, you knew you were trans, you wanted to be a boy, but you feared the discrimination. And then there's something else you said in this video, I'm talking about from healthcare, uh, advocates international, you say, you didn't want to continue on being closeted. Can you help me with that conversation that you're having this, this internal dialogue?
4: Yeah, um, it was. It was just all so complicated because the reality is with the world that we live in, you can come out and be yourself and be happy with yourself, but you're gonna upset a lot of other people, or you can live your life in misery with yourself and be accepted by everyone else. Because if I was just the, if I just stayed as the straight like female that I, th- like how I was born it would have been a lot easier. I would, I wouldn't have lost friends and family would have been different My, the family dynamic with extended family would have been different, but, um, it's, it gets to the point where it is so unbearable because the reality of life is that you're the only person that you're going to be living with for the rest of your life. Like, although families forever, of course, and everything, um, whether or not they choose to accept is their choice but with yourself you can't there's no you can't like i'm gonna take a break for myself i'm gonna go out for the weekend no like you're stuck with yourself and so it takes a long time but to learn that your happiness in your life is the most important because another thing that people say is like oh the um the world doesn't revolve around you and in some ways yes but also in your life yes it does because it's your life. So for me, the the world revolves around me for mom, the world revolves around mom because it's in our separate lives. And so I, I also have, I have a best friend and he's gay and he, he's like your very stereotypical feminine boy. And, um, he would get picked on a lot, but he, his confidence and he was like, I don't care. Like, it just doesn't matter what other people think I'm going to go live my life. And if they don't like it, then like, Who cares? They're like little like rats on the street. Um and that also helped that helped with me because I started being I started realizing like like if I if I if these people really want to just leave because of how I'm identifying, then like there's no I shouldn't have had them in my life in the first place. Because if they're gonna choose politics over me or religion or religion over me or etc. Like that's that just shows a lot about them and has nothing to do with me really.
2: Jess, much of what I'm talking about comes up in a video of you both sharing your experiences with healthcare advocates international. That's a nonprofit healthcare organization. That video actually is on our website at ctpublic.org slash where we live. And I'm thinking about a part in that, in that uh, video. And it seems like for you, Jess, this was a tipping point. Your son's in the hospital battling through this. Mm -hmm. Can you just kind of take me through your reaction to that and kind of realizing that, man, I need to get my son some help here.
3: Yeah. So this was the second time that he was in the hospital. Um, um, And it was only six months ago, about six months ago from, from here. And um, uh, at this point we knew that he uh, was engaging in self-harm again. He was feeling um, probably not completely like suicidal, but definitely as, as, as Oakley said himself, I don't want to live like this, right? So that's he was so fed up of living the way that he was living. And so we had um, a, a FaceTime call with Tony from Healthcare and Advocate International lined up for this Thursday. I remember it was a Thursday at 6 p.m., And it was also the day that the therapist, Oakley's therapist said to us, yeah, I think you need to bring him. So we brought him into the hospital. And of course, unfortunately, um, when you go into uh, the the, the emergency room to go into the psych ward, there's a long wait. And that's scary, like to think about our our youngsters and how many of them are dealing with um, mental health issues. But that's for another conversation. But. Um, so we were waiting, Oakley was on a gurney in the hallway in the emergency room, waiting to get into a bed because um, they had um, said, yeah, he needs to go into a, to, to this, to the psychiatric ward. And I said to the nurse, we have a call that um, is, is scheduled and I need Oakley to be on that call. And she was like, eh. and it's not, you know, it's not really, I said, "And it's the first time I was like, I'm not accepting no for an answer this man that my son is going to talk to is the reason why we're here and is possibly going to to help save his life i mean that was it so oakley got on the call with tony and um i think for for oakley to hear somebody understand what he was going through and To be able to say, hey, Oakley, we can do X, Y, and Z and help you. I mean, the most, if you don't mind me saying, one of the most difficult things for a trans trans child is having their period. When you have your period, it is such a reminder of the fact that you were born a female and it was during the time that when he would get his period, it was so difficult on him. So Tony was able to say, "Oh, well, we can take care of that for you. Like we can help you. Like there's things." And it was so matter of fact to him that Oakley was like, "Oh, oh, hold on a second. I didn't see a future yesterday. Now I see a future." And it it just changed everything. Changed everything to the point that we had like a three or four day wait to get into the psych ward. So we were going to be in this emergency room area for that length of time. We were able to take Oakley home probably, I think it was the next day when I said to Oakley, okay, I know what you need now. You need to start the transition. You need to to go to people that can help you. And once we decided on that and we were like, okay, let's go home. Um, I think we went home on a Saturday that Monday I made the phone call and, um, to a clinic and, um, we started the process.
2: Oakley is the second time you're in the hospital. Is this where you start to see that you're going to get the treatment that you need?
4: Yeah, that's kind of, the first time I was in the hospital, I was actually sent to the psych ward and was with kids who were also experiencing, like not all of them, of, of course, but there were kids that were also experiencing like gender dysphoria and stuff. But I think the difference was talking to an adult who understood it and because the kid because a lot of people just don't listen to teens they or kids they don't listen to if you're a minor they won't listen to you but hearing that an adult understood what i was talking about what i was going through and stuff really changed the perspective because no one else was listening to me but he was so that's kind of when i was like oh i don't want to be in this hospital i don't want to because at, at this point, I was four, four years in and out of treatment, and I was like, I don't want to do this for, my, for the rest of my life. I don't want this to be the way it is. And if I can actually live a life like Tony was living, then that sh- it doesn't solve all my problems, but it definitely helps.
2: Jess, what about a, a resource like Tony or Healthcare Advocates International? What about that in terms of helping your change and your understanding on this topic? Oh
3: my God, I mean, it was, to me, life-changing. I didn't know where to turn, what to, I didn't understand it at all. I I was scared as a parent, and I think, still am, and I think I always will be. Um, And I, a friend of a friend, was how I got to know about Tony at Healthcare Advocates International, and the minute I reached out to him, he contacted me the next day, because I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to be waiting a while for him, but he contacted me the next day, and he said, let's get on a FaceTime call. And I think he mentions this in in the, the, the video that um, when he spoke with me, the tears were streaming down my face and they were tears of fear of like, I, I don't know what to do. How do I, what do I do for my child? And what does this mean? And how do we deal with it as a parent? And listen, they, they, they always say they don't give you a manual, right? When you have a child, um, you, we all come as, along as parents having to to deal with things that we just aren't equipped to deal with. But this one was like, whoa! I didn't read about this in a book anywhere. Right. I mean, this was completely something I didn't know what to do. And my husband didn't know what to do. So for Tony, he could understand it from my son's perspective, but he also, also because he had dealt with parents like myself for so many years, he could truly understand how I was feeling the fear that I was feeling. And he was able to walk me through, okay, this is what your son needs and this is what we can do for him. And, and he also, and, and Oakley hates when I say this, I needed someone to say to me, yes, yes, your son is trans. Oh, yeah. And Oakley, his whole point, And I understand this because he said it so many times is if, if somebody would have just listened to me from the beginning, right. And, this is what I hear so much out of Oakley's mouth now is why aren't we listening to what these teens, what these kids are saying? I know how I feel and nobody is listening to me, but I needed an adult to say to me, like, like, you know, someone to say to me, yes, yes. Like to affirm it for me. Yes. He's definitely, there's no doubt in in our mind that, that what he's feeling is body dysphoria and is, um, he's truly trans. And, um, these are the things that we can do to help. So I didn't know anything about anything. I I really didn't. I was so uneducated, um, and just didn't uh, understand anything. And so through Tony, I learned a lot. And then through honestly, watching YouTube's, YouTube videos, TikToks, all sorts of things of people that I, watched go through the journey and watched who feel the exact same way. And all these trans kids, kids, trans youth, even the adults were saying the exact same stuff as Oakley was saying to me, exact same stuff. Um, so all of those resources, you can't do it on your own. You, you really can't. It's so hard. So you need these resources. And I'm just so grateful to Tony for, for that.
2: Oakley, could you just talk to me about what's in the importance of an ally and what you need from people?
4: yeah um this is something i'm very passionate (laughs) on because i think people are taking it like like just teen kids and teens are just idiots and they just absorb whatever's around them we had someone who like said to us or said to her that um because i've i for years i've followed along the story of jazz jennings who's a transgender female and she has a tv show and people were like it was just putting things into my head and that's just simply not true because no one, no one, the show, no one is telling you, Oh, you're trans, you're trans, you're gay, you're bisexual. No one's saying that. And the importance of normalizing everything is huge, especially with kids because they're now saying that don't say gay bill in Florida for kids younger. And that, that doesn't make any sense because say there is, if you're not, if you're saying don't say gay don't say gay and there's a child who maybe has two moms two dads or has a parent who identifies as non-binary or anything really and the kids don't grow like learning that this is something that happens they they will get picked on they will get bullied and then that's just that's how things just get so much worse and then again when there are parents who will not listen to their kids and will be like they're um, this is just a phase. This is just what they're like. They're just thinking this because of social media and stuff. And then their kids start struggling immensely with mental health. And sometimes they lose their battle and parents are like, what happened? It's like, well, they were telling you what happened. And I was never the best with communication ever with my family. I, when I had something to communicate with them, I would write letters and slip out of the door Mm -hmm. because I, I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I couldn't with community. I was struggling so bad with communication. Um, but I found my ways to communicate. And so if your kid is trying to communicate, like we had this system where if I was struggling one night, I would just stay downstairs in the family room. And it became like a non, like a not talking thing because I I couldn't say to my mom, Hey, I'm struggling tonight. I just couldn't do it. So my mom knew that if I was downstairs, that means I was struggling and I just wanted to be around her. Um, so just coming up with things Like listening to your kids, no matter how they're talking, they're trying to communicate with you, no matter what, listening to them and seeing what they're feeling and like not telling them this is a phase or their feelings are unvalid or just just simply listening to them, whether you agree or not, it doesn't matter because if this is how your kid is feeling, that's not going to change.
2: Jess, in the video, Patty McKnight, who is the executive director of Healthcare Advocates International, says education is the best medicine. What do you have to say to other parents? That's
3: my platform right there. Um, And I can say it because I lived it. I was uneducated, so uneducated about this. Um, But I truly, truly believe we need to educate. We need to get this out there. This is happening. This is happening. This is a real thing. These are not pretend People, right? I mean, some many people say trans people don't exist. Yeah, yeah, they do. They absolutely <laughs> exist. Um, and um, and they're not scary. He's not that scary. So, like people are so afraid of the unknown, and um they prefer to to, to follow people like the Matt Walsh of the world, um, and and just go onto his platform of of uh, total anti-trans, transphobia, and everything, as opposed to. Hey, let's do a little bit of research let's go back years and years and years and see you know how many years ago this didn't just pop up out of nowhere so I think it, it's the education is so important uh, we have some really good laws here in Connecticut and um, that our schools are supposed to follow but I don't think our schools really follow them or learn about them unless they have to and um, I know we've been lucky but I know plenty of families that haven't been as lucky as we are and certainly don't live in as an accepting space as we live in. Um, and I think just if we could just educate people and then also parents, um, because as a parent, it's not, it's not, it's not easy. You go, it's not, you know, most parents aren't like, oh yeah, yippee, my child is trans. It just doesn't happen like that. You, you go through a lot, a lot of things. Um, but the most important thing is our responsibility is protecting our child and making sure we, do, we can do what we can to to make them want to live in this world that we've provided. So I do. I agree 100 percent with Patty. We need to educate. We need to, be to talk about it more as opposed to saying, no, 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 we're not going to talk about this in schools. Stop indoctrinating our children. Stop talking about it, because if you talk about it, you're going to make them trans. <laughs> That's just not the case. And if it is, then there's some other stuff going on that that needs to be discussed in the family. The reality of it is, it's just to ask the question,
4: how many deaths is it going to take for people to realize this isn't a joke? This isn't something that just goes away. This is real. It's not going away. And it needs, something needs to happen. It needs to be fixed.
2: How many deaths? Wow. From Connecticut Public Radio, I'm Frankie Graziano. This is Where We Live. If you want to hear more of our interview with Oakley and Jess, we'll have an extended conversation on our webpage, ctpublic.org slash where we live. And I got to say that if you or someone you know is struggling, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 988. There's also a free crisis text line for emotional crisis support. You can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741. It's available 24-7, and it's confidential. And for LGBTQ youth, you can also reach the Trevor Project at 866-488-7386 at any time or text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 678 We're going to continue this conversation with the Trevor Project after a quick break.
1: So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed. And in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery.
0: For more information,
2: go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. We just heard from a local teen about his experience of coming out as trans his mom's perspective, and the difficulties Oakley and Jess overcame together in finding help. Thank you, Oakley, so much for sharing your powerful story. And today, you've also heard us cite really several troubling statistics from the Trevor Project's annual survey examining LGBTQ youth mental health. Like Tony Ferriolo with Healthcare Advocates International, the Stratford-based organization that stepped in to help Oakley, The Trevor Project is a national nonprofit poised to help LGBTQ youth in crisis. Here to discuss life-saving work on this front, really, is Troy Stevenson, the Senior Advocacy Campaign Manager at the Trevor Project. That's the world's largest suicide prevention and mental health organization for LGBTQ young people. Thank you so much for joining us today, Troy.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: You can join the conversation if you're listening. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Troy, did you listen to Oakley and Jess in that interview? And if so, what did you think?
0: I listened to every word. Um, but thank you. That, uh, Oakley was uh, both uh, were really, I mean, just amazing advocates themselves. I I was talking to one of my colleagues about um, how just Oakley blew me away with the maturity they brought to that conversation and some of the insights were were well beyond their years and that's what we find among so many lgbtq youth that that have had to navigate these these troubling political times and social times and it's their dignity on the line and and that's the the voice of strength that i heard
2: what hit me like a ton of bricks in that interview was when oakley says i knew i was a boy i knew i was trans but i didn't want to be because of the discrimination and oakley also says you know, I, I, I. At some point, I just didn't want to continue being closeted because of this discrimination. But I mean, you know, just didn't want to continue being closeted, and, and eventually did come out as trans. What's your reaction to some of that tough commentary from Oakley?
0: It's unfortunately all too common. Um, I, I will say that um, that Oakley's parents uh, did did the right thing and an amazing thing. All too often, people try to send their their kids through abusive practices like so-called conversion therapy or, or things like that, which are so damaging and to see their, or to hear their story and to listen to the fact that they came from a more conservative background and still were so quick to accept and educate themselves. Um, it, it's affirming to, I'm sure so many people listening that 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 is, that is the change that Oakley was calling for that his parents um doing what's right for their their child as opposed to trying to force their child into a box that they don't fit in.
2: In a in a broad sense, can you help me with the role of your organization? And again, thank you for listening to the Oakley interview and reacting to it. I appreciate it. Let, let me let me just talk about your organization here. Mm-hmm. Broad sense, what's the role of it?
0: Um you just said it we're the world's largest um suicide prevention intervention organization. Um serving LGBTQ youth. So we have a 24-hour uh, um, service that is text, call, chat, where youth can contact one of our crisis um, counselors at any time to to talk through what they're going through. We also um, have world-class research and advocacy um, that that we do on a regular basis. And I think today what we're going to talk about is one of those those pieces of research, which was our 2022, uh, youth mental mm. health survey. Um, we also, uh, to Oakley's point, we advocate across the the country for, um, better laws to protect LGBTQ youth. And unfortunately right now we quite often, our advocacy is aimed at stopping these, these horrific attacks on trans youth that we're seeing from state legislatures that are, that are, Hyperbolic and and in the press, and that was one of the moments where, you know, quite often we do this work um, and we talk to youth, but but hearing how plugged in Oakley was to what's happened in Florida and other states, um, it, it makes me proud that they're that civically engaged and watching. But it is distressing that that's what teenagers and young people have to think about right now about their own identity and their own lives. And the fear that that they go through and so many um, aren't in accepting positions like Oakley is. And and it's just it's terrifying what they must be going through. The
2: 2022 LGBTQ youth mental health survey you just talked about. uh, uh, One thing I'm thinking about, I think is troubling. I think that's the best word for it is to hear that 19 percent of non-binary and trans youth have attempted suicide. What stood out to you in this report?
0: um many things that's that's one of them but one of the most important things in this report is actually of a positive nature that our research has found over and over again that 40% i'm sorry that lgbtq youth that have one one single um affirming adult in their life are 40% less likely to attempt suicide uh if you if any medical condition out there if somebody if just one person talking to somebody could help stop um, any other death, I think people would step into it. And that's a being an ally, being an affirming parent, um, just being an adult who listens, whether that's an aunt or an uncle or a friend, a teacher or a therapist um, can can save that life, that young person. And and I, I hope that that is one that your listeners, that is one of the statistics, if they go and look at the survey or they're listening to this conversation, that they take away, that, that they can literally be the change in that one, that one young person's life.
2: Thank you so much for that perspective. I'm going to read you something in the report. You say, we still do not have known counts or registries of the LGBTQ youth population and comprehensive intersectional data on LGBTQ youth mental health outcomes. They remain limited. You just address this dearth of data on trans and non-binary young people in particular. So that you can kind of give accurate counts and continue to report on this community.
0: Oh, of course. I mean, the way we do that is our youth mental health survey goes out uh, in two populations by um, different social media platforms and whatnot that they look at. We it's tens of thousands of youth that are surveyed mm-hmm. in our um, survey, so we get the best popular or the best possible count of of the percentages of folks self identifying. Um, there is no data. Right, well, there is no data is the wrong word. I, I hope I'm addressing your question properly, but the, we don't count LGBTQ youth. We don't count LGBTQ people uh, in the way that we do other demographic populations because of um, discriminatory survey practices by, by governments, uh. by institutions, because it's a question not asked. Um, at The census doesn't ask people about their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, state surveys don't ask, they're done by the government, don't ask quite often in many states. So it's hard to really get a hard count when nobody's doing that kind of research at the, the broad-based level. Um, and we are not a government institution. We can't go out and, and find those numbers ourselves um, with the kind of authority that government bodies have. So it makes it difficult we do the best we can in reaching as many young people as possible.
2: Troy, I'm, I'm running out of time here. So I'm going to ask you one last question, but I'm going to do it quick here. The Trevor Project reports that rates of, because I think this is so important, reports that rates of suicidal thoughts among LGBTQ youth up over the last three years. What services does the Trevor Project offer to help these people? And are you feeling the urgency?
0: Absolutely. It's more urgent than than ever, especially with what young people are seeing in the media. Our services, what once again, are we got Um, live text, chat, and and actual phone calls that that youth can call into uh, at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Um, So we've got people on the lines to help them. They can also call 988. And youth are quite often uh, rerouted to um, Trevor's Lines so that they can get service and support there. Um, And then they can go to Trevor's Space Online and there's a community for young people that they can do peer support, and talk to each other. Um, so, and that's, that's it.
2: Troy Stevenson of the Trevor Project. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much. Brother.
2: Coming up, we hear from the media watchdog, helping keep tabs on anti-trans rhetoric. And you can join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. Where we live, there are several kind of unique protections for the trans and non-binary community, like coverage for gender-affirming health care and legal protections for those seeking gender-affirming health care from out of state. That was enacted in the Safe Harbor Law passed in Connecticut last summer after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. And if you play public school sports, the governing body of high school sports in Connecticut, they actually allow athletes to compete by the gender to which they identify. That said, trans people here are not immune to anti-LGBTQ rhetoric, as you heard Troy Stevenson in the last segment so wonderfully articulate, or that discrimination that comes with it. There's actually been a lawsuit aimed at stopping that governing body from supporting trans student-athletes. A recent CT Insider report identified Two Instances of Anti-LGBTQ Vandalism, and it cites a new national report from the Human Rights Campaign's Center for Countering Digital Hate on the Spread of Anti-LGBTQ Hate Online. Our next guest is going to help us with how disinformation deepens polarization, and she's going to debunk the harmful anti-trans narratives that are wreaking havoc online. Here's Ari Drennan, LGBTQ director for Media Matters for America. That's a progressive media watchdog and nonprofit. Good morning, Ari.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: You can join the conversation if you're listening. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Ari, your perspective on the role social media plays in this misinformation and polarization, please.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so social media creates a lot of, uh, you know, unfortunate incentives when it comes to conversations around LGBTQ people, where it really rewards the people who, you know, make the most kind of uh, overheated claims um, and the most dramatic statements. So people like, you know, you mentioned earlier, Matt Walsh, or one of your guests mentioned Matt Walsh. Um, You know, this is a guy who has uh, built his entire platform by um, kind of doing anti-LGBTQ trolling or just making ridiculous statements um, that end up getting a lot of attention, end up getting a lot of clicks, um, but ultimately end up spreading kind of harmful misinformation around the internet.
2: Yeah, let's talk about Matt Walsh. (laughs) Uh, A recent interview with this anti-trans man uh, named Matt Walsh, Uh, he gave wildly inflated statistics while on Joe Rogan's podcast. And also he talked about your organization. He said MMFA would be the one to check him on this, quote, Media Matters, will have fun with that clip. Can you just kind of go through his argument and debunk it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, on an appearance on Joe Rogan's podcast, which is actually the most popular podcast in the United States, um, Matt Walsh claimed that, quote unquote, millions of children were on hormone blockers, um, which is just the kind of thing that, you know, if you think about for more than 15 seconds, it doesn't really make any sense. And um, it really kind of is, has been leading to the outsized attention that the trans community has been getting um, from, you know, right wing politicians and from, uh, you know, people trying to look, trying to scare people about our community to gain power. Um, so, you know, in one recent study, people estimated that twenty percent of the population is trans. That's not remotely close to accurate. The real number is like one point five percent. You know, I think there's been a lot of conversations around how trans people are included in our society. And I think that's great, but I also think it's important to contextualize that, you know, being trans is still a pretty rare experience.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a new study out of an Amsterdam clinic that uh, 98% of people who had started gender-affirming medical treatment in adolescence continue to use gender-affirming hormones at follow-up. What do you think about that study?
1: I mean, I think that as you heard from Oakley earlier trans people know who we are um you know it's you can do everything that you, that you can to try to delay that or um you know make excuses but at the end of the day you have to live with yourself and so you know if someone is coming to a medical professional and saying i'm trans or they're they're coming out to their family they're coming out to people in their life um the odds are that are very very good that somebody's not you know wrong about that 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 they're serious Um, because you know this isn't something that somebody is going to go through unless it's very important
2: and let's close the loop now on walsh and, and rogan here is this a good example of the larger kind of modus operandi that you guys track
1: yeah so basically um you know there's a real problem with people just claiming that that this is this widespread phenomenon and you know it's coming to trans your kids and and that's scary to people, right? Like um, people want what's best for their kids and they know that um, being trans can be really difficult. So um, there's been a lot of overheated rhetoric about just how common the trans experience is and just how many people are receiving gender affirming care um, that, you know, just has led to a lot of overheated coverage.
2: And we saw several unsuccessful Republican campaigns this election season that drew on this. Tick list of uh, anti-trans misinformation that we're discussing. Uh, you know, for example, we had a, a gubernatorial candidate here in Connecticut uh, named Bob Stefanowski. We also had a, uh, a a Florida-inspired parental bill of rights, aka the "Don't Say Gay" bill, that uh, that uh, had come up. And then there was a U.S. Senate, Senate candidate, sorry, repeatedly referencing quote indoctrination happening in schools. A lot of focus on education in particular, as you know. Can you kind of talk about this narrative and why schools are becoming a target?
1: I think schools are becoming a target in part because, um, you know, with the pandemic, uh, parents just gained more of a perspective into what was happening with schools and thus um, more of an anxiety about it because it was right in front of them. Um, But, you know, schools have always been a place where um, people are, you know, growing up and figuring out who they are. And when I was in school, there was one openly gay kid in the whole school. Um, And so, you know, if that's changing, it's a sign that society has become a lot more accepting. Uh, You know, we still obviously have a lot of roadblocks, but um, I just hope that kids today aren't going through the same kind of anti-gay, vicious bullying that makes them feel
2: like they have to be someone other than themselves. Okay. We're going to talk about now the narrative about cats. Can you explain to me what the (laughs) heck this is and what it means? And, and if it's actually happening, like our kids saying that they're cats now, what's, can you just help me with this, please?
1: Yeah. Um, so Joe Rogan, uh, specifically was discussing, um, you know, uh, he said it was a rumor that he'd heard from a friend, um, that schools were installing litter boxes to accommodate children who are identifying as furries. Um, and this is just a fabrication. It's it's one of those stories that people make up to claim, you know, if you accommodate trans kids, look what happens next. But you know, it's ridiculous. And um actually Ben Collins for NBC News took a look at why schools might have um kitty litter on the premises. And the answer was actually, I think, are just like a really chilling look at what's the real problem in schools today. Um, which is that kitty litter can be a very effective. Um, it's something that you can use to soak up blood in the event of a school shooting. Um, it's horrifying to even say those words, but, um, it's, it's really, I think that story is such a microcosm of the way that, you know, schools are just trying to keep their kids safe and that becomes twisted into a vicious anti LGBTQ attack
2: we had a pre-show meeting and we talked about that and when i heard about when i heard about this way to try to uh, use this in, in a school shooting scenario it's really unbelievable how in the face of what these people are saying about cats and and, and litter in classrooms is and yeah. when we talk about joe rogan you you brought this up earlier that is pretty much the most popular uh, podcast in america so and i went to a party earlier this year and Somebody confronted me and asked me about cats and kids identifying as cats. This stuff is sticking, is, is the point. It's reaching yeah. people.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult situation where people just do not have a lot of information about trans people. Um, many people still don't know any trans people in their personal lives. So that creates an easy opportunity for this kind of you know, fearful, hateful rhetoric to take hold.
2: There's one thing. uh, There's another thing I want to talk to you about. A a recent New York Times article headlined, they pause puberty, but is there a cost? Your reaction to this article, given what we touched on earlier, the slim number of trans people who actually detransition. Yeah,
1: I I mean, I thought it was interesting that the article acknowledged that less than a thousand people a year are getting puberty blockers that are covered by insurance for gender dysphoria. Um, The article suggested without evidence that many more people could be getting these treatments, but in reality, they cost tens of thousands of dollars a year. So that seems unlikely to me. Um, It fits in a a broader pattern of coverage of trans people in The Times, which is that it hyper focuses on a tiny share of the population whose experiences are not representative of the larger trans community, And then ignores issues like homelessness like unemployment or family rejection or lack of access to medical care um it's it's kind of missing the forest for the trees
2: thank you so much for for reacting to that article uh i want to clarify i don't know if you said this or i said this i think i did but uh one thing i had heard about the kitty litter in classrooms was that it was actually used as a bathroom in case of long-term barricading but nonetheless it's just uh, unbelievable to hear how these narratives spin out of control and uh, this is your job and this is something you have to deal with on a constant basis hearing these kind of things
1: yeah um you know i it's it's been tough uh you know 50 million dollars was spent attacking trans people in political campaign ads just this election cycle and that that obviously has an impact
2: Thank you so much for coming on, Ari Drennan. Thank you so much to to share your perspective here. That's it for this show. Um, Frankie Graziano, today's show produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. You can download, excuse me, today it was Dylan Reyes. You can download Where We Live Anytime on your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much for listening.